0: Hi, folks, it's Andy, the analytical preacher. Most of us are aware that within the Christian church, there are instrumental and non-instrumental churches, meaning there are churches that use instruments to accompany their singing and churches who do not. Most of us also are aware that for the non-instrumental churches, it's not just really a choice that they're making, but most of them are pretty firmly convinced that it's actually a sin to use instruments in worship. So what I want to do is try to cover that in this podcast because what I think is not as well understood is the nuance of why some people are okay using instruments and why others say it's a sin to use instruments. So let's think about it this way. As Christians, we generally think if the Bible explicitly prohibits something, then it is a sin. Do not steal, do not cuss, do not murder, do not lie, Etc. But if there's not this direct explicitly prohibited rule, then we sort of just assume that it must be allowed, that we must be able to do it. Here's the nuance that comes in from the non-instrumental churches. They say, but what if the Bible provides an example? What if it gives some general direction and then provides examples of how something was done in biblical times? So we see in the New Testament, Jesus or his disciples or all of the churches that Paul wrote to in his letters, what if they all undertook something in a certain way? Are we then bound by that example, those examples, or only restricted from things that are explicitly prohibited? Our non instrumental friends will generally give two examples as they talk to folks who are unaware of why they disagree with the use of instruments. And the two examples Generally, goes something like this. If your mom sends you to the store with $20 and she tells you, I need you to buy a gallon of milk and bring it back to me, would you then assume that you have permission to buy anything else that you want? Let's say a candy bar for yourself. Even if mom didn't expressly forbid it, it's not been explicitly prohibited, If mom said, here's $20, go buy me a gallon of milk and bring it home. Is it okay for you to buy a candy bar? And so they're trying to show this nuance of just because something wasn't expressly prohibited. Mom, of course, could have said, here's $20, go to the store, buy a gallon of milk, only buy a gallon of milk. Do not buy anything else. Bring me all the change except for what was spent on the gallon of milk. Then everybody would agree, no, mom ain't going to be happy we buy a candy bar. Does it matter if she says, here's a gallon of milk? I mean, here's $20, bring me a gallon of milk, and didn't expressly prohibit it. And they say, you know, most of us, if we were honest, would say, no, I don't think mom's going to approve of that. They give another example. You pull up to an intersection where there's a red light, and you see a sign that says, yield before turning right on red. Would you now also say, Well, I can probably yield and then turn left. And their answer, of course, is no, you would never do that. Every car you see pull up yields and then they either turn right or they wait at the traffic light before they go straight or before they turn left. They wait until the traffic light turns green before they go straight or before they turn left. And so they say, again, we're just not allowed to make assumptions sometimes out of silence. What we need to do is say, well, mom said get this. That's probably all I'm supposed to get. The sign says I can turn right, but it doesn't say anything about going straight or turning left at the red light. So I probably am only allowed to turn right after yielding at a red traffic light. And when you hear those examples, they do make sense. You're like, oh, wow, maybe I am taking too much liberty. I'm assuming too much. But here's the problem. When it comes to how we worship and song, and first we have to be honest and say, you know, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about that. The Bible speaks about In Acts 2.42, that they studied the apostles teaching what we would call the New Testament. They fellowshiped together. They took communion together and they prayed together. It doesn't even mention singing there. Paul, when he's writing to the church at Corinth, he's like, if someone has something that they want to say or a psalm they want to read or whatever, then do it one by one, do it. He doesn't really even mention singing as part of what's going on in the worship service at Corinth. So the Bible doesn't actually have much at all to say about worshiping and song in the New Testament. And what little it does say about singing in the New Testament, it just doesn't give us any rules. It doesn't give us any examples. There's no... Request for bring a gallon of milk. There's no sign that says turn right after yielding. So if those things are absent, then it's much more wide open than our non instrumental friends tend to think that it is. It's almost as if the Bible said, mom said, here's some money, go to the store and buy some stuff. And so without a specific request, take this money and buy a gallon of milk without a sign that says turn right at the intersection. We're really left with a wide open landscape. And so if we say, well, there are non-instrumental examples in the New Testament, then we really have to question, do we only follow those examples or are we allowed to go outside those examples? Because there are no examples that we can really define in the New Testament, I just don't think that argument holds much weight. It doesn't really retain the water. Now we know to be clear In the Old Testament times, worshiping with instruments was not only allowed, it was not only permitted, but you could actually say it was explicitly required by the scriptures. I'll just give one scripture from the Old Testament. Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord, praise the Lord in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord is how Psalm 150 goes. And so we see here, it's mentioning everything. It's mentioning wind instruments. It's mentioning stringed instruments. It's mentioning percussion instruments. And it's saying, do this and do that this way. So there it's pretty obvious. And the tradition was God is not in some way historically always opposed to instruments. If anything, God was requiring them. And we know that in the temple, in Jesus' time, instruments were used as they sang psalms in praise to God, etc. So let's look at some New Testament verses and we'll kind of see how ambiguous they are. Speaking of Jesus's last night before he was arrested, Mark tells us that after they had eaten the last supper and Jesus had instituted communion, they did this. Mark chapter 14 verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We just can't say definitively whether when they sung that hymn, one of the disciples had an instrument with them. It wouldn't be unthinkable at all that as they traveled around, somebody carried a flute or a lute or a lyre or a tambourine of some description to help them mark time and add some melody, etc. Now, what we do probably know is that what they sang was one or all of the psalms from Psalm 114 to 118 because those were customarily sang at Passover. So we can probably narrow down what hymn was sung, but really we can't say whether an instrument was involved or not. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we read this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, as we read through this, we see one thing. It appears that Paul was trying to specify three different types of praise songs there's psalms, and there's hymns, and there's spiritual songs. We do know in the Old Testament, that a psalm was literally a song sang to the accompaniment of stringed instruments. In fact, that word psalm originally meant to strike or to pluck a stringed instrument. And so they simply took that word and moved it over and said, as we sing these psalms, Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, which again, the book of Psalms is sort of like the Hebrew or the Jewish hymnal. It's the hymn book. It's the song book for the Hebrew, for the Jewish people. As we sing these songs, we're going to call them psalms because most of them are explicitly designed, expressly designed to be sang to the accompaniment of a stringed instrument. So it's possible that what Paul is saying is psalms are that, hymns are a cappella, and spiritual songs are things that we sing to ourselves or that the Spirit wells up within us, etc. Now, all our non-instrumental brothers and sisters will be quick to point out that the definition of the word psalm, what Paul wrote here in Colossians, the definition had changed over time, and it didn't necessarily always mean what it meant when King David, a thousand years before, would have written the Psalms. King David clearly wrote the Psalms to be sang to the accompaniment of instruments, and that is how they were often sang in the temple. And over that thousand years, the definition of the word psalm had changed a bit. And so it is true that we can't be 100% certain that when Paul writes here singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we can't be 100% certain that it meant singing to the accompaniment of an instrument, but we can't be any more certain that it doesn't mean to sing to the accompaniment. We just don't have an example one way or the other of how early Christians were doing it. Let me give you a similar example. The word lyric is actually derived from a Greek word, and that word means to sing to the accompaniment of a lyre. L Y R E if you've seen a lyre or don't know what a lyre is, a lyre is a musical instrument that it looks like a little handheld harp, and often in portrayals of King David, you'll see King David holding this U shaped handheld looking heart, and that would be a lyre. Over time, of course, that definition has changed, and today we use lyric to really just mean the words of a song, not necessarily a type of song that sang to the accompaniment of a handheld harp. But we still have our problem that I'm discussing in this podcast. If I say to you, that young lady won the music competition singing the lyrics that her uncle had written for her years before. You could not honestly tell me whether that young lady performed that song to the accompaniment of a liar, which is possible because that is what lyric used to mean. You couldn't tell me if she sang it to the accompaniment of a liar, if she sang it without any assistance at all, or if she sang it with a full rock and roll band, electric guitars, drum, bass, keyboard, everything. You don't know. The young lady won the music competition singing the lyrics her uncle wrote for her. And so if you say to me, I want to be able to sing exactly like that young lady who won the competition, I would say to you, I can't help you with that because I don't know if or what instruments might have accompanied her. And the fact that lyric used to mean saying to a liar kind of doesn't help because it doesn't always mean that anymore. But the fact that lyric now just generally means the words of a song in no way prohibits or precludes or guarantees that no instruments were used in that singing competition. And so again, we have a few verses Jesus and his disciples sung a hymn. Colossians 3 tells us to sing psalms and hymns. There's another verse in Ephesians that says almost the exact same thing about singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. But we don't know exactly what Paul meant. And there just is no example of whether individual Christians or Christians in worship service were or were not singing. We do know That Acts tells us that the early Christians in Jerusalem continued to visit the temple. Some of them continue to visit the temple every day. And we do know that there, they would have encountered the Psalms being sung to musical accompaniment. It's probably fair to, to extend our point a little bit farther in a different direction because the idea that if there's not an example given of You can do this because we saw early Christians do this. If there's not an example given, then it's prohibited. I think we have to look at some of the things that went on. For example, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, were told that they were to worship at the temple. Now, of course, they were to remember the Sabbath. They were to remember the seventh day, the day of rest, Saturday. And they were to keep it holy by not working and not requiring their employees and their servants, et cetera, to work. So we know they were told to remember their rest day, Sabbath, their Saturday. Remember that and keep it holy. And then they otherwise were required to worship at the temple. Sacrifices were to be made at the temple. There was a very specific layout for the temple. There was a priestly class of Levites that had to work the temple. They had to be a certain lineage. They had to work the temple in a certain way. There was a myriad of rules that dictated and regulated this temple worship. And that's all the Old Testament tells us about. Nowhere When Jesus was born and came along, nowhere in God's word had there been any instruction at all, any approval of any example set for worshiping in synagogues. Synagogues, probably the easiest way to think about it. It's just individual Jewish churches in different locations instead of one temple in the holy city of Jerusalem. There's no example given. There's no express permission to worship in synagogues and yet we know because we read it multiple times in the New Testament that Jesus worshiped in synagogues. Now, Jesus did not perform sacrifices in the synagogue. The table of the showbread wasn't in any of the synagogues. The curtain, they didn't claim they had a holy of holies. All of the things that were expressly given to the temple and all of the regulations and functions that were to be performed and was expressly told could only be performed by the Levite priest class, all of that remained at the temple. But Jesus did go to the synagogue where he would pray, where he would read scripture on the Sabbath, etc. Though there is no example, no permission given to do that in the Old Testament. So even if there were examples of, we've got five examples in the New Testament of churches singing. And in every case, we know for a fact they sang cappella, Even then, I'm not sure the argument is as strong as the non-instrumental brothers and sisters want to make it. Because we can make that same argument for why, therefore, Jesus would not have been allowed to. It would have been a sin for him to have gone to a synagogue on the Sabbath and worshipped with other Jewish believers. But the very simple fact of the matter is there are no examples in the New Testament that explicitly say you can or cannot use instruments. There's no example that says this group sang and they did not use instruments and this group sang and they did not and this group sang and they did not. There just is no way to tell from the small amount of information that we have whether these individuals were singing with instruments or not. And it seems to me equally likely that it could have been either or or sometimes a mixture of both. But as a minister, here's my real concern with this issue. It's not that some people choose to sing without instruments. If you've ever been in a non instrumental church, And you hear the voices, the shape notes. It's one of the most beautiful things in the world. And it's a moving and inspiring way to worship God in song. It's not that they're not using instruments, which can certainly get in the way sometimes. And it's not that it's not an effective method because it's probably far more beautiful than those of us who do worship with instruments, if you want to know the truth. My concern is that they're losing the meaning of what Paul was saying, Colossians three sixteen. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't think Paul wrote that to tell us sing with or without instruments. This is what he says, singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. With thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord. So if I sing with an instrument primarily because it's entertaining me, that then becomes the sin, not the instrument itself, but why I am in that church, why I am singing in that way, because I'm looking to be entertained. If I'm singing without an instrument, but I become self-righteous about it, saying, at least I sing the right way and those other Christians sing the wrong way, then I become self-righteous. That in itself, of course, becomes a sin. And I really think what Paul was getting at here, when we teach one another, when we admonish, challenge, encourage one another, when we sing, we need to do all of these things with thankfulness in our hearts to God, and we need to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I don't think Paul is trying to say here, this is how you should sing or how you have to sing, but is saying, as with everything else that you do, he tells us in Colossians, do your work as if you're working for the Lord. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart, giving thanks to God, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid when we argue about the use of instruments in worship and whether it's preferred or even allowed or sinful, I think we lose the point that Paul is making. We can make any type of singing sinful if it's for our entertainment or if we do it self-righteously. We've automatically violated Colossians 3, 16 and 17 and made what would appear on the outside to be worship, we then made that a sinful activity. So in conclusion, the Bible, the New Testament just does not tell us, it does not give us any examples that we can follow. And therefore, if anything, you could say, well, we should just continue to follow the Old Testament, or we should do whatever can honestly allow us to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.